I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Megha Padhi. I'm a research analyst at the Takshila Institution. In today's episode, we are discussing recently held BRICS summit. BRICS countries held their 14th summit on. 23rd and 24th June 2022 with the theme of foster high quality BRICS partnership and ushering a new era for global development leaders from all five countries participated virtually and this summit uh, this year was hosted by China to discuss the summit and its outcomes and some other aspects where we have with us today Manoj Kevilramani Manoj is fellow at the Takshila institution and he is also chair of Indo Pacific program at Takshila Welcome Manoj. Hi Mega. So before Manoj we get to BRICS summit and its outcomes I'd like to tell our listeners about Takshila's public policy program. As our listeners might already know Takshila Institution is an independent non-partisan think tank and a school of public policy. We have uh, education programs lasting one semester and one year that are tailored specifically for people who like to think about policy and like to devise policy solutions. they are all online and you can take them from anywhere admissions are now open for the 12 week graduate certificate program in public policy defense and foreign affairs and technology and policy a deadline for september 2022 cohort is 27th august uh, for more details please visit the link given in description so yeah manoj now coming back to breaks what do you say are the key outcomes of the meeting right i mean one of the big outcomes of the meeting was that you know you had this joint there this joint declaration which is standard sort of since many years now and again this one a lot of it is repetitive a lot of it says you know very little new states tend to reemphasize their positions on key aspects of the international order on economic cooperation some aspects of security people to people exchanges and so on and so forth and that's sort of you know you're the the three pillars of brics right it is political and security cooperation people to people exchanges and economic and financial cooperation those are the official sort of three pillars of brics and you'll see the joint statement essentially say things to you know repeat sort of stated positions and talk about some new developments some progress that may have been made and some agreements that they have arrived at i mean at this point of time this summit didn't necessarily lead to any significant new agreements i think the biggest aspect uh, that was part of discussion during the summit was the expansion of brics you know this is the summit was sort of chaired by china by xi jinping so and in the sort of days and weeks leading up to the meeting you there was a lot of chinese officials and sort of state media repeatedly sort of spoke about the need to expand brics given the changes in the international environment and that was i think a key part of the conversation at the same time you know in the joint declaration however that expansion you know the can was kicked down the road because the declaration basically talked about you know how it is in, you know this is something that we are discussing expansion is a process it's important to clarify the guiding principles standards criteria and procedures for expansion 
and that will be done through the sharepass channel and another sort of in, interesting bit in that little point there was that this process must be carried out on the basis of and i quote full consultation and consensus you know so consultation is one part of it consensus is another and the other the consensus essentially means that everybody has to agree so one person can hold up the process in one day so that's the agreement that they have uh, arrived at uh, which tells you that immediately expansion is not going to happen which was one of the big sort of aspects of the conversation at the BRICS. I presume, although this was not in the joint statement, you know, there is a little bit more sort of sense of friction during this summit because of the way things have uh, played out in the last four months in particular with the war in Ukraine. So to me, there was a clear divide between how Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin framed the essential nature of the BRICS going forward as opposed to how the other three leaders framed it. And perhaps we can talk about that down the road. But yeah, that was, I think, from the summit itself, those were sort of the outcomes. From after the summit, you had uh, another high-level dialogue on development, which was again chaired by the Chinese. Uh, and this was in the BRICS format. And you had a bunch of countries that were invited to this dialogue. And that ended up with sort of 32 outcomes, you know, most of which essentially, you know, from a Chinese point of view, operationalize what Xi Jinping has called the Global Development Initiative. And a lot of that is about capacity building, training, poverty alleviation, agriculture, things like that uh, to try and work with developing countries and address needs of development. So that's your sort of outreach in a different format being done by the BRICS. Thank you so much for this apt summary and, you know, kind of outlining, highlighting key outcomes of the meeting and some other things. So you talked about expansion. So Iran and Argentina, both countries have reportedly applied for BRICS membership. And I have also read that Saudi Arabia is also is also considering. Now, regarding Iran and Argentina, they are generally seemed as friendly countries towards China. So do you think this, you know, pushing for expansion and pushing for BRICS plus is this is there some hidden agenda behind this? Also, now one more thing. Um China has a long complaint that internet like expansion and champion uh, expansion of uh, reforms, expansions and reforms in some other international institutions. So do you think China is trying to lead by example here? Look, I think that it's interesting that the expansion debate is happening right now. And I don't think it's a surprise uh, also that's happening right now because of the way the world has developed. I mean, I, I look at this conversation. I mean, if you read through the speeches of Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, the case that they are basically making is that the world is changing. The international order post the Cold War that existed is fundamentally in flux. And of course, from their point of view, it's largely the West and the United States to blame for that. And in some ways, yes, there is blame to go around for the West and the United States, of course. You know, the argument is that with this change and with, you know, new forms of groupings being created and an attempt to weaponize financials, the international financial systems, uh, an attempt to try and create new power blocks and potentially create a new sort of Cold War of some kind. That is unpopular, but it's being fashioned. That's the argument that Beijing makes. And amid that, it's important for developing countries and emerging markets who have shared concerns, not just from a geopolitical point of view, but also from an economic point of view. So, for example, the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia and in the and the sort of developments in the aftermath of the war in Ukraine have led to a lot of downstream effects for developing countries, whether it be with regard to energy security, whether it be with regard to food security or commodity prices. 
all of that are sort of common and shared concerns. And so that sort of bring, requires them to sort of work together, come, come together and not sort of facilitate the emergence of what is what, you know, Beijing and what potentially even Moscow's views as a new Cold War sort of alignment. And therefore, the outreach is taking place. So it, it's in that context. So I, that's how sort of I look at it. I mean, I don't look at it as a something, uh, I don't see it as scheming. I see it as a reaction to, you know, it, events that have played out. And also I see it as an, as, a, as an attempt at grabbing an opportunity. You know, there are a number of countries in the developing world that are very weary of, you know, being forced to pick sides. And this was evident in the last few months, particularly. I mean, for the, for the couple of years now, we've been hearing, right, uh, countries in uh, Asia, uh, in Southeast Asia, talking about how, well, don't make us pick sides between the US and China. And you've seen the American narrative on this also change under the Biden administration, right? Now, when they talk about the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework for Prosperity, they don't say that this is about choosing. They actually expressly say this is not about choosing. This is about positioning the United States as a preferred partner. And that's a response to anxieties in the developing world. Also, during the war in Ukraine, what we've seen is that in the last few months is that most countries in, say, in the Indian subcontinent in East Asia have been extremely reluctant to, you know, choose sides. They've made their positions clear, driven by their own national interests, but they've not necessarily chosen sides per se. And that's for many reasons. So this is Beijing also sensing an opportunity, you know, that there is a certain ambivalence to choosing sides. And if from Beijing's perspective, the world is being bifurcated, this is an opportunity to sort of expand your reach, your accessibility, expand your sort of circle of friends so that you stymie any attempts at what you see as containment. So I think there's sort of both, right? You know, there's an opportunity that is being leveraged, but there's also the threat because of which it's being done. So that's how I see the discussion on expansion. And we can later talk about what it means from an Indian point of view. So you see uh, how the way I see it, and even in your statement, right, it was quite evident how geopolitical and other international considerations have become a key factor in, you know, discussion around BRICS. While when it is formed, it was mainly just formed with an economic agenda in mind. But now it deals with a lot of issues, including security, health and technology and other things too. So, and also there is this countries who are part of BRICS Forum have very, very different kind of ideologies now. Yeah, even when formed, they had different ideologies, but they have become quite evident now in a lot of other considerations. So do you think this is going to play out well for BRICS or we'll see friction going forward? Yeah, I mean, my, and I've written about this, like my view is that, look, you know, the, the BRICS as a grouping is undergoing an identity crisis. Like you rightly said, that when it was established, it was essentially established as an economic grouping. Although that was not the only agenda, it was also an economic grouping of emerging powers, emerging markets, which also believe that there is a certain, uh, that there is a certain shared view of the international order and the reforms that global governance needs to undergo. I mean, it's important to keep in mind that all of this was happening at the time of, you know, the great financial crisis and there was a massive churn that was taking place. So there was a sense that, you know, the balance of power is beginning to shift uh, towards emerging markets, the geopolitical balance of power ever so gradually it was beginning to shift. And therefore it required sort of common positions, common understandings. It required a grouping where these countries can sort of come together and they can express their common positions when it comes to multilateral, you know, the multilateral agenda. 
Now, even then, if you look at these five countries from the point of view of power in the international system, I mean, there's a vast difference, right? China and Russia command far greater power than India, Brazil or South Africa in the international system. And one metric of assessment of that power is that they are both UN Security Council members while the other three are not. So their ability to shape discussions, debate outcomes at the international level were far different from what India, South Africa or Brazil had. So it, it's also beneficial from that point of view for these other three countries to create this grouping to get a stronger voice at the international level. Of course, lots of water has flown under the bridge since 2009 and things have changed significantly. But historically, if you see, the political and security cooperation at the BRICS uh, has, so, has been subordinate to economic and financial cooperation. You know, that's been the main driving factor. And two examples of, you know, the big outcomes from that are the New Development Bank and the Contingency Reserve Fund. Right? So those tell you that there were tangible, actionable outcomes. In terms of political and economic, uh, political and security cooperation, there have been very few tangible outcomes. And, and it's essentially, you know, it's not, it's a place where you sh come up with certain coordinated positions, but you're not necessarily operationalizing significant initiatives. They've got different working groups on cybersecurity, on terrorism, but really the outputs of these working groups and the outcomes of these working groups are very, very limited. And an example is, you know, what happened with the listing of Hafiz Saeed for over a decade at the UN Security Council's sort of uh, sanctions uh, regime as a designated terrorist. Likewise, you know, the day this in last in this month, in last month in June, the day that the BRICS National Security Advisors were meeting, around the same time you had India put forward, India and the United States put forward a proposal to again designate uh, another LED terrorist, uh, uh, you know, LED chief as uh, a designated UN terrorist and the Chinese put a technical hold on it. At the same time, the statement from the NS, BRICS NSA's meeting talks about, you know, upholding the UN's position as this multilateral agency where you coordinate and talk about terrorism jointly. So, you know, that just tells you the difference between the rhetoric at these meetings and the actual outcomes. In contrast, if you contrast the economic wing, there are significant outcomes. Why I say that despite all of this, there is an identity crisis is because I think that balance is now going to start to shift. If you listen to Xi Jinping's speech at the BRICS summit, he talks about operationalizing the global security initiative under through the BRICS framework in one way or using the BRICS mechanism to operationalize it as one, perhaps one platform. That tells you that there's going to be a different dynamic coming into the and I think that will sort of make it much more difficult because at present, there's, you know, there's very little information about the different constituents of the Global Security Initiative. But from what we know from Xi's speech at the Boa Forum in April, from subsequent article, from a subsequent lengthy article by Wang Yi, um, what we do know is that, you know, the principles of that initiative are such that it is fundamentally framed in opposition to what China sees the West as doing or the United States as doing. So that makes it difficult for India, particularly if that's going to be seen as fundamentally opposing the United States. It makes it difficult for India to balance uh, what it's doing with the Quad. You know, it. You know, at present we're quite happy with the fact that we can be attending BRICS at the same time. We can go to the G7 and we can be part of the Quad. We can be part of the SEO at the same time. I think that multi-alignment uh, that the foreign minister calls it is going to become much more untenable as you see this contest, and particularly in BRICS, as you see, you know, security becoming a much more important dynamic. Yeah, thanks for that. So we'll take a break on this point and we'll come back and discuss, continue this discussion further after the break. 
वेलकम बैक टू ऑल थिंग्स पॉलिसी दिस इज मेघा पारदी टूडे वी हैव विद अस मनोज केवलमानी एंड वी आर डिस्कसिंग ब्रिक्स समिट एंड इट्स आउटकम्स एंड इट्स रेलिवेंस इन टूडेज वर्ल्ड सो मनोज बिफोर वी सो जस्ट बिफोर द ब्रेक वी टॉक्ड अबाउट की आउटकम्स ऑफ द मीटिंग एंड एक्सपांशन ऑफ ब्रिक्स एंड चाइनाज हैंडलिंग ऑफ दिस फोरम सो over the years since it since it it's a set inception in 2001 brics has evolved a lot and uh, also the countries which hold uh, held the promise of you know development and were called developing countries have come quite far especially china it has emerged as a very strong country among brics states so do you think that china now dominates the grouping and its agenda in some way so i wouldn't frame it as china sort of dominating the grouping i mean i think these five countries have a somewhat shared view of how the world would be but there are differences in terms of the degrees in terms of how they you know they all want the international order to be much more representative they want you know a stake in global financial governance they want a stake in uh, security governance they want sort of uh, an in, uh, a greater multipolarity they want much more they want multilateralism to remain as opposed to unilateralism to sustain so they all have some you know base level similarities in their views the difference is in what those outcomes will mean right and what is the degree of what is what does multipolarity mean to you those sorts of things i think is where they differ on when it comes to the their own interests and that's driven from their own you know interests and their own threat perceptions and if you just take the example of each country's relationship with the united states each of the five countries what you see today is that you know russia and china share a very similar view about us global policy uh, and the threats that the united states poses to them and that view is not shared by south africa india and brazil uh, brazil may have its own dynamics with regard to the united nations with united states but it's not necessarily there isn't a sense of an existential competition and threat you know like there is with russia and china likewise with india the relationship is actually the best it has ever been in history uh the india united states relationship at this present moment and the relationship with south africa is also probably you know nowhere as close to as bad as what it is with the united states with china and russia you know in contrast if you look at china and russia you know russia's relationship with the united states is at its lowest since probably early you know since probably after the cuban missile crisis and you know today china united states relationship is also at its lowest in over 40 years since the thaw took place with kissinger and then subsequently nixon visiting beijing so there's a very different threat perception which means that they will come at this body in a very different approach you know and their approach to the body to bricks as a body will be very very different and that will lead to friction so uh, since we're talking about approach of different countries of course we'll talk about india now since india is uh, part of both bricks and quad so i was always curious how do you describe india's appro- current approach being part of both these groupings and uh, trying to balance both these relations by different countries i don't know how to define it but my view is that it is increasingly going to be extremely uncomfortable sitting on any fence in the middle can be extremely painful and i think you know that's essentially what's happening i mean in some ways uh, i mean i don't think india sitting on the fence that was maybe flippant i think that there is a certain amount of you know india is sort of moving based on its own perceptions of its own interests and its interests are much more closely aligned to the united states in terms of economic development the nature of the world order security also but 
there are interests that don't necessarily coincide with U.S. interests and U.S. actions. So, for example, the Indo-Pacific is largely, you know, in the way American policy has been framed, is largely been security-based. It's changing right now. There's a much more economic, deeper economic component to it. But there is lots more to be delivered in that, you know. Uh, at the same time, even the security aspect of the Indo-Pacific is largely from a maritime perspective. Yet India has tremendous continental challenges, you know, with, the Ch with China on one side, Pakistan on the other side, Central Asia. All of that requires India to engage with many more actors, you know. So uh, Afghanistan, the rise of the Taliban. I mean, all of that requires India to do much more than simply, you know, partner with the United States. So some part of it is that, you know, you need to work with different actors who have different degrees of stake and influence in the region also, you know. And the fact that India's geography is such that we have China on one side and Pakistan on the other, and we have a boundary dispute with both countries. And both those disputes are today much more volatile, you know, at the same time in some ways. So it requires us to do much more than what, you know, say somebody in the West would expect India to do. At the same time, you know, the challenges of uh, the downstream impacts of the sanctions, uh, you know, those on immediate sort of economic needs. You know, there's been lots of talk about inflation in the United States. Inflation is also a deep problem in India right now. And given the fact that we have a population which is living below the poverty line, um, it's a huge challenge. So I think that that requires to some degree a balanced policy. You have to sort of try and, you know, weigh pros and cons. My sense is that it's becoming increasingly more difficult. And if the BRICS, which was largely an economic grouping, and again, I emphasize largely, is going to be turned, you know, as from its identity is going to be altered to becoming also significantly about security. And even the economic relationship will be viewed from the lens of security at that forum. I think that that's going to make it very, very difficult for India to keep making the case, you know, to the West also, that it's not balancing, that it's, you know, much more closely aligned in its interests and that it's not being part of what are essentially anti-Western groupings. So I think that that is going to become challenging for India going forward, you know. So that's one thing. I mean, at the, at the, uh, to just uh, add, to an, add another data point to the fact, to the earlier question that you had about China dominating the BRICS. I mean, at the high-level dialogue on global development that took place last week under the BRICS, there has been reportage and the Pakistan Foreign Office has said that, you know, Pakistan was not invited to that dialogue. And the Pakistan Foreign Office says that it was because of one member of the BRICS, you know. And I'm, I'm presuming it was India. I don't think any other country would fundamentally have that sort of a position on Pakistan. And, you know, so I, I think that that tells you that it's, you know, that Beijing will be accommodative of India because it wants India to remain part of the grouping while it redefines the grouping. So again, this, this is, these are challenging times for India. So now let's talk about China because I, I really would like to know how China looks towards BRICS as a forum. Not just not just from uh, their uh, you know, international relations perspective, but also do you think there are any reflection of China's domestic politics on the way Beijing behaves uh, or Beijing's approach towards BRICS? Especially considering uh, we have a big election or big political turmoil or expected political change or rather continuity coming up this year. Yeah, look, I don't see what China is doing at the BRICS specifically being motivated by anything to do with the 20th Party Congress. I think that this is an extension of Chinese foreign policy, you know, approach uh, under Xi Jinping and how that approach has sort of evolved. So I think 
its approach to the BRICS is one part of that broader policy architecture. I don't think it has anything specific to do with the 20th Party Congress. So in terms of domestic politics, I think it just reflects the fact that, you know, foreign policy as well as domestic politics and domestic policy has become much more ideologically driven. Uh, the system has become much more of top-down control. Uh, there is far more securitization across the board. So, you know, Xi Jinping's concept of overall national security or comprehensive national security sort of, you know, says this, right? Everything is fundamentally being viewed from the lens of security. You know, so he talks about agricultural security, energy security, you know, everything is essentially being looked at from that perspective, you know, health security. So that's sort of bleeding in also into this. And my sense is that whenever we see him articulate uh, much more details about the global security initiative, you will see some of these aspects being components of the global security initiative. It won't just be about, you know, military to military cooperation or policing and things of that nature. It will also be about things like, you know, energy security, food security, perhaps climate change, uh, environmental security. So I presume you will see much more of that bleed into the global security initiative which is essentially how the domestic narrative is constructed. So you might see sort of technology security as being one component of it. You know, you, they anyway have a data security initiative. So you might see some of these things come under the broad umbrella of security, which is a reflection of what's happening domestically in China. But I don't think that there is anything specifically to do with, you know, the doing something at the BRICS because it impacts the 20th Party Congress. Yeah, uh, so thank you so much for... Uh your insights today. I think that's it for today and uh, we had a very insightful discussion. We discussed uh, outcomes, we discussed uh, how BRICS is evolving and uh, India's position and how in India will have some balancing to do uh, and probably some challenging times ahead. So thank you so much Manoj for joining us today and thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you, thank you so much. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in